So Matthew 11, starting at verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John was in prison, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to the others. We play the pipe for you and you do not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of my judgment than for you. And you, Caponium, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
song. Great song. Uh, let me introduce myself. If you haven't met, uh, my name is James Lewis. I'm the senior assistant minister here, and I have the great privilege uh, of looking at Matthew 11 with you today. So, will you pray with me? Lord God, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, they are such delightful, enticing, wonderful words. And so we ask today that we wouldn't just roll through another Sunday into another week, but you would let those words and all that they mean take root in our hearts, that we would be changed, that we would indeed find that rest. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, it's a powerful song. We just heard that little clip of it. Uh, if you don't know, it's from uh, U2's 1987 album, uh, The Joshua Tree, uh, and a massive success. And, and the song I, we heard, um, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I think it's probably the best on uh, the album, although you can debate that with me later. Um, and, and in the song, uh, Bono sings very early on, I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So powerful, isn't it? I think because it it captures, it echoes that cry, that longing of the human heart that we are restless, that we are searching, that we can live a a big life, a full life, do great things, even find true love and still be restless, still be searching, still cry out, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's like Jesus says in verse 28 of Matthew 11 that we are weary and burdened. We're like an ox pulling a heavy plough, dragging this heavy load through life. And we have no rest. Perhaps it's you this morning. In your journey, in your story, you've come to church and you've got questions. Lots of wonderful, rich questions. And you're hoping in your heart of hearts that Jesus is the answer to those questions. That Jesus is your rest, what you've been looking for. But there's more because a bit later in the song, Bono sings this really intriguing verse. He sings, You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, all my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's fascinating and troubling, isn't it? I mean, it's fascinating because it sounds like Bono's saying, look, I get Jesus. I get that his cross deals with my shame, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's unsettling because it makes me ask, is it really possible to come to church to, to get Jesus, to get that his cross deals with your sin and shame, to follow him, to trust him and still be restless, still cry out, I haven't found what I'm looking for? Do you feel that? I think we all do at some level. Which is why I love this kind of strange conversation that goes on between Jesus and John the Baptist in Matthew 11. Did you notice it before? If you've been reading Matthew with us uh, this term, this year, uh, you'll know that God had sent John the Baptist to be a fearless prophet, to preach this fiery message of repentance. And John had obeyed. And crowds had flocked to him. And they'd heard that message. And was preparing the way for Jesus. And part of John's message meant that he rebuked King Herod, the Roman puppet ruler of Palestine. 
he rebuked King Herod for his uh, Jerry Springer show lifestyle, his lust-filled relationship with his sister-in-law. And Herod's response to that was to throw John in prison, where he stayed for months and months and months. And then John heard that Jesus had been teaching and healing all around Galilee and crowds were flocking to him. And so he sends this message to Jesus in verse 3. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, it's hard to know exactly what's going through John's mind at this point because he doesn't tell us. But at some level, he's wrestling, he's struggling, even doubting. I mean, picture it. Jesus is moving around Galilee into the cities and towns everywhere and he's healing and teaching and crowds are flocking to him and it's just amazing things going on. And then kind of John's like down here in prison, out of the way. And he sends this message to Jesus. Are you the one? Are you the one that we're waiting for, that the prophets promised would come and fulfill God's promises and make everything right? I'm just asking because I'm in prison and it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. I love that that question's in there because you know that John is no lightweight. He's no weak, spineless coward who folds at the first sign of trouble. No, no, look how Jesus describes him in verse 7. He says of him, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. Jesus reminds the crowds, when you went out to see John, did you go out to see a lightweight? Someone who's blown back and forth by focus groups and opinion polls and Twitterati and social media. Is that what you went out to see? No, you went out to see a prophet. And not a rich man who's living for himself, but you went out to see a prophet. And not just any prophet, because look down, verse uh, 10. This is the one about whom it is written, I'll send my messenger ahead of you, prepare your way before you. Jesus says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because he is the one who speaks with the greatest clarity in all history about who God's Messiah is. All the Old Testament prophets were like the preview or the teaser before the main show. All the Old Testament prophets are saying, look, the the Saviour's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then John arrived and he pointed to Jesus and he said, he's here. And so you see John in John chapter 1. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Matthew 3, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, John is no lightweight. He's the fearless prophet, excuse me, fearless prophet of God. And yet he's struggling. He's questioning. He's even doubting. And I love that this conversation is in the Bible because it's just so human, just like us. And it reminds us that God is big enough to deal with our questions and our doubts. I remember being in a community group a number of years ago. I was much younger and a whole bunch of big questions came up one night. Things like, how can you trust the Bible's true? How do you know that Jesus has dealt with your sins? And and how is it that God is in control and yet we're not robots, we have real genuine choices? Those kind of questions, really big, great questions. 
And then I remember the leader of the group kind of said, look, you're never really going to understand this stuff. You've just got to believe it. And I remember thinking, are you serious? I kind of want to reach out and just slap, you know, like, really? Is that, is that what you're going with? You're going to give your life, stake your eternity on something, and you're not going to question it? You're not going to wrestle with it? You're not going to doubt it? Are you serious? Some of you will be carrying a heavy burden of doubts. And perhaps you feel guilty or ashamed because of them. You think, I really should have more faith. But it's okay to doubt. It's called being human. So what do we do with our doubts? Look at how Jesus responds to John's question in verses 4 and 5. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You see, Jesus doesn't demean John. He doesn't say, look, stop doubting John. Stop asking questions, John. You've just got to believe John. He doesn't demean him. And at the same time, he doesn't dismiss the doubts and questions. Oh, well, we all doubt. What are you going to do? No, he speaks truth into those doubts says, John, look what I'm doing. I'm doing exactly what the Old Testament prophets said would happen when God's forever king, when the Messiah came. And so verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I am the one you're waiting for, John. This is what we do with our doubts. This is what Jesus says to our doubts. Roll the soother, the balm of truth over your doubts. And blessed are you favoured are you if you believe the evidence follow the evidence and believe the truth about Jesus well it sounds so clear and simple doesn't it just speak the truth of Jesus to your heart to your soul and you'll have rest and peace and all be good sounds so simple so why don't we why are we still so restless so unsettled well Jesus answers that question for us But he does it by peeling back the layers and pressing in on our hearts, our souls. And and it's a little bit unsettling, but it's really good for us. See, he's just finished telling the crowds that John was the great prophet that everyone was expecting, preparing the way for God's Savior. And then he says, verse 15, whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus challenges, are you going to follow the evidence? Are you going to follow the truth? I'm here. Because this is how it normally plays out. Verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? Every generation, every heart. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. Then the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. See, John came preaching a fiery message calling for repentance and they said, oh, he's a bit much, isn't he? A bit intense. Let's say he has a demon. Then we don't need to pay attention to him. And then Jesus came at the other end. He came eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. He came welcoming everyone, friends with everyone. They said, oh, he's got no standards. Can't take him seriously. He's friends with everyone. You see, it's like children playing a game. They set the rules and only their rules matter. 
Jane and I have four boys. That's right, four boys. Pray for us. Um, and we've noticed with kids that they kind of, when they're little, they do this uh, thing where they'll make up a game that they want you to play and, and they set the rules and only their rules matter and they always win, right? <laughs> and so it might be something like, Dad, you go and hide over here and I'll find you uh, and then I'll go, rah, and you go, ah, and, and that's kind of... And, and so if I say, well, how about I hide somewhere else, like really hide where you can't find me? No, 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 you hide here and then I'll find you and I'll go, rah, and you go, ah, that's the game. They set the rules, only their rules matter, and they always win. Now, that's fun and it's kind of cute when they're little, but can you imagine adults living like that? Maybe you know some. Imagine a marriage where the husband or wife says, look, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to watch TV, but you do everything. You cook, clean, and wash up, and, and, and do the shop, and, and I'm not going to do anything. Or imagine going to work and telling your boss, look, I'm going to be late every day. I'm going to steal from you. I'll do a bad job and I still want you to pay me a bonus at the end of the year. It's immature, right? We set the rules and only our rules matter. It's childish. And yet Jesus describes every generation, every heart like that. We think that we set the rules and only our rules matter. We think that we can make Jesus dance to our tune. So we say, I'll follow Jesus if he gives me what I want. I'll follow Jesus if he makes me healthy, wealthy and wise. I'll follow Jesus if he's the Jesus of the hills who gives us good jobs and lovely homes and happy families with talented, sporty, musical, well-adjusted children. Yes, I want to follow that Jesus. Now, I know that sounds a bit crass and we'd want to defend ourselves and say, look, I'm not like that. I would never do that to Jesus. So let's do this. Come to verse 28, 30 with me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I reckon as we read that, something went on inside all of us. Because it's a really well known set of verses. Uh, We we like these verses. We love the the bit about rest. You know, we know that bit about rest. But I wonder how many of us read that and, and really don't really notice. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because we love the rest bit. That sounds great. The yoke bit, not so much. Like, Jesus, you were doing so well, Jesus, when, when you talked about giving us rest. That was really exciting. We reckon that will trend well. People will support that. Why did you have to go and ruin it by talking about yoke and learning from you? We set the rules. Only our rules matter. We think we can make Jesus dance to our tune. And when you think about it, it's really quite arrogant, isn't it? Like Jesus comes, the King and Saviour of the world, and we say... Jesus, it'd be great if you could dance to my tune. It's arrogant. It's what Jesus condemned the towns and cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum for. They had seen the miracles that Jesus had done and they were apathetic, indifferent to him. And so Jesus said, if the same miracles, the same teaching had been done in Tyre and Sidon and uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the pagan cities that you look down on as, as dirty and uneducated and illiterate, They'd seen those miracles, they would have repented and turned to me. 
And so it made me wonder, if Jesus walked through Sydney today and walked through the hills today, would he say, woe to you, Sydney. Woe to you, hills. You have so much access to Bibles. So many opportunities to hear about the truth. So many ways to grow in joy and faith. And yet you are so indifferent, apathetic, distracted. Woe to you, Sydney. If the people of Iran and China had had this kind of opportunities, this access to the truth, they would have repented and turned to Jesus in their thousands and millions. And we know that's true. Because in those countries, almost everywhere that the good news of Jesus goes, people turn to him and follow him. And we know it's true because when they come to Sydney, to the hills, to Norwest Anglican, they are so hungry to hear about the Jesus they only heard whispered of in their homeland. So woe to us, Sydney. Woe to us, hills, if in our smug indifference, we think that we can make Jesus dance to our tune. And the great tragedy is, if we're like that, we will never find the rest that we long for. We will always cry out, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And yet when we surrender, when we let go, when we let Jesus set the tune, then we find our rest. Let me show you. Verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't give us a set of rules or a path to enlightenment. No, Jesus invites us to come to him, to follow him, to walk with him, to learn from him. And verse 29, it's take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's not any yoke. It's not another burden or a set of rules or more religion, but it's Jesus' yoke. Learn from Jesus. You see, none of us are really free. All of us are yoked to something. Do you know that? It's that thing that dominates and captures you. The thing that you make the measure of your worth. The thing that you tell yourself makes you valuable and significant, makes you someone. So often for me, it's been the approval and praise of others. And so I then evaluate every decision, every conversation, every sermon based on whether people like me and praise me. And I can tell you it's like being an ox dragging a heavy plough through life. So what is it for you? Longing for success? That special relationship? Perfect family? Financial security? That thing that dominates and captivates and enslaves you. Jesus says, throw it off. Throw it off. Take my yoke upon you. Because, look, 1045, verse 30. For my yoke is what? Call it out. Easy. And my burden is what? Light. Yes. And Jesus reminds us in verse 27 that everything has been committed to him. So he has all power, all mercy, all grace, all truth, all rest, all peace. And so Jesus took that power and he served us. He humbled himself, came and lived among us, loved us, served us, taught us. And so there's this moment in Matthew chapter 20. I'd love for you to turn over there with me now. Matthew chapter 20, just a few pages over in your Bibles. 
about verse 20. Matthew 20, verse 20. So to set it up, um, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, um, comes to Jesus and wants, she's a bit like a, um, a stage mum really, a soccer mum. She wants her sons, her two sons to sit at Jesus' right hand. You know, my, my sons are special. Uh, they're really talented and so they should be at, at the, the right and left of Jesus. And the ten disciples, when they find that out, they're indignant, probably because they wish they'd thought of that idea. Um, and then Jesus replies by saying this. Look at verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's the way power normally works in the world. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see what it looks like when you take Jesus' yoke upon you and you learn from him? You learn humility. You learn service. And then Jesus, as it says in Matthew 28, took, uh, Matthew 20, verse 28, took that freedom, that power, and he offered it up on the cross for our sins and in our place. He paid the ransom for our sins. And his body was laid in the grave. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And so now, the same Jesus who says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest, is the same Jesus who rules the universe. Do you see? The yoke that you take on is from the Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. And when you, when you get that, when you begin to learn that, you discover some things. You discover that you're not good, but you are loved. You're not perfect, but you are forgiven. You're not in control, but you are free. See, when we stop trying to control our lives, stop trying to control Jesus, then we find freedom. When we stop trying to make Jesus dance to our tune and we let him set the tune, then we find rest. You see that in the uh, classic movie, Chariots of Fire. It tells the story of two sprinters, Eric Liddell and Harold Abrams. Harold Abrams, a man who had not found rest in Jesus, said, I am a sprinter. I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. See that restlessness? I'm a sprinter. That's all I am. That's, that's what defines me. If I can't be fast, then what am I? Eric Liddell, a humble Christian man, said, God has made me for a purpose. He's also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. You see the rest? He stopped defining himself by what he could do or what he could perform. And he surrendered himself to God's goodness. So friends, are you weary and burdened? Do you feel very often like you're an ox dragging a heavy load through life? We all are at some level, aren't we? So come to Jesus and let him give you rest. For some of us, it means that we've been a Christian for a while, but we've put up roadblocks. There's parts of our lives that we just won't let go of. Parts of our lives where we won't let Jesus forgive us. Parts of our lives where we won't let Jesus heal and transform us. And we have no rest. 
For some of us here today, it's that we've toyed with becoming a Christian, but because of pride or fear, we just don't want Jesus to be our King and Saviour. And we have no rest. For some of us, it's that we drift in and out of churches, but we never really belong. We sort of sign up to a community group, but we never really go. We sort of get to know people, but we never really do life. I reckon this is the most heartbreaking place to be because you are so close. Close enough to Jesus to see that he's good, but you never experience his peace and rest. So isn't it time we stopped playing games with Jesus? Come to him, all us who are weary and burdened, and he will give us rest. Take his yoke upon us and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart. And we will find rest for our souls, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we've heard Jesus say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And those words are so wonderful. They speak directly into our restlessness, our longing, our emptiness. And yet we confess that we we try to get that rest on our terms by using and manipulating Jesus, getting him to dance to our tune. We want to confess and acknowledge that. We want to repent of that. We want to take Jesus as he is in order that we would take his yoke upon us and learn from him so we would find that rest, that we would honour him and enjoy him. So will you help us? We know it's so easy to sit on a Sunday and it sounds so clear and we think, yep, that's what I'm going to do. And then Tuesday, Wednesday comes and we're back to our old habits. So we ask in your mercy you would break through all that and change us truly and deeply for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.